0: Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We talk some hoops. We have some fun. We even have our spoiler-filled Mandalorian update. We'll do that later on in the show. And uh, as joined as always by my buddy Chris of Blue Ribbon. What's going on?
1: Man, it's it's been a crazy week. Uh, I know uh, uh, both of us have been really busy, and of course, uh, the Mandalorian has ramped up their their attack. Yes. So this is a basketball podcast, but you know, we both love uh, Mando. So, uh, generally pretty good. I mean, I, I'm surprised that I'm really kind of surprised that more games, uh, have not been called off. Yeah. Uh, so some teams have been, been pretty lucky and managed to squeeze in quite a few games. And I think it's been, you know, some, some smart scheduling, a little bit of luck, uh, some teams not so lucky, yeah. But I think generally the season has gone about as as well as uh, one could hope. Obviously, some some schools like Gonzaga and, and Gonzaga and Baylor have, you know, have, have had to shut shut it down, and Tennessee shut it down for a while. And uh, it, it brings up a good point. I, I think you mentioned it about uh, what Coach Case said versus. What, uh, Coach Oates said from Alabama and then what Coach Oates retracted. Right. It, it's, it's a hard call.
0: It really is, Chris. And, uh, we, we can kind of start there. Uh, you talked about, uh, Gonzaga and Baylor. They've both been shut down for a bit. They were going to play each other on December 5th. Uh, Gonzaga is supposed to resume with Iowa and Sioux Falls and, and Baylor at Kansas State. We'll see if those games happen this weekend, but you look at the top 10 in the AP, you got Gonzaga and Baylor, Iowa, Michigan State and Kansas. The rest of the top ten has Houston, Virginia, West Virginia, Creighton, uh, lost to Marquette last night in a fun game, 89-84, and then uh, Tennessee after that. The Vols have finally been able to get their season underway with a couple of wins, but man, you don't really know from one game to the next uh, whether the game's going to be played or called off or teams are going to be shut down for a while. I did Vanderbilt's game on Sunday. They played Mississippi Valley State, and that was the first game in 16 days for Vanderbilt. They played their opener on a Friday night against Valparaiso after Thanksgiving, and then Uh, They missed a couple games in Connecticut. They missed a trip to SMU. They had another home game in there that didn't happen. And, you know, I asked Jerry Stackhouse about it before the game, if it was like, you know, playing another opener. He said yes. And uh, he said the one thing he noticed about Mississippi Valley State is they played a bunch of games. They they had already played like six games. They had uh, made it through okay. But uh, for Vanderbilt, I know they were happy to be back out there. And I I think it's just kind of the case with every team. You you don't really know – uh, when, when it's going to happen or if you're going to be able to, to keep on rolling. And, uh, you know, I thought this stuff with Coach K and, and Coach Oates w- was uh, kind of interesting. I can kind of see both sides on that. I, I, I see it Coach did. K's point of, about pushing it back and, you know, maybe putting it on pause for a bit. And then, uh, you know, NATO's came back. And as you said, he, he sort of walked back what he said. And I think he talked to, to Mike Sheshewsky and apologized and said, Hey, you know, I maybe didn't understand totally what your situation was, but, um, I guess selfishly, I wanted to want things to keep on going because you know this is our livelihood. This is what we do. We we watch basketball, announce basketball, talk about basketball. But at the same time, you want everybody to be healthy, and and you don't want to see you know anybody get sick, and certainly anything very serious uh, with with the COVID situation. So you know, I I kind of see both sides, and uh, I, I think you know I, I think for the most part, people have done a good job just doing the best they can to to get in the games.
1: I think that's true. You know, I think I don't think Coach K is is overly concerned about losing to to Michigan and Illinois, although both were on their home court and they're off to their worst start in 20 years. Uh, And I think some cynics said that it's easy for people, some pundits and some coaches who, who may be independently wealthy to go ahead and shoot down the season. And, you know, Coach Oates, wants to play all, all of us w- want to see the games played, but I don't want to see them played if, if lives uh, are in jeopardy and health is in jeopardy. So I think if I still contend that if you're crafty enough and smart enough, you can figure out ways to play games like Stanford has uh, decamped at, at North Carolina and, and people have played in certain bubble situations like Mohegan sun and, out in Sioux Falls and Tennessee really did some, they had to push one game back and one game up so they could squeeze in a game with St. Joe's, yeah, which they desperately needed. So, you know, now's the time to kind of be crafty, to be careful. Uh, on a plus side, schools are out now and won't resume until January. I know I teach at the University of Tennessee and Chattanooga and, Uh, The the students left before Thanksgiving and they won't be back until like mid to late January. Right. So now you've got basketball players isolated on campus and theoretically you'll be able to keep them safe. So I hope that's the case. Obviously, the virus has ramped up, but I was super encouraged yesterday to see that vaccine going into people's arms. I I think that's going to be a game changer, not just for sports, but for the world.
0: Yeah, that's been very fun and welcome to see this week. Uh, you know, the, whether it was the trucks rolling out carrying the vaccine or, or people actually getting it as they're starting to get the uh, the first doses uh, going out to uh, medical folks. And uh, I know uh, other at risk people will be getting it very soon and uh, hopefully widespread after that. But uh, yeah, keep your fingers crossed and an uh, encouraging sign there. Uh, mentioned Tennessee getting a season underway with a couple wins, uh, the, the last of the top 10 teams to get started. Neither one of them were especially pretty. They beat Colorado uh fifty-six forty seven in the uh, Friends of George classics as I like to call it. And then uh <laughs> <laughs> and then beat uh Cincinnati uh sixty five fifty six uh John Fulkerson, who Chris wrote a fantastic piece on on our uh, on our blue ribbon site, uh fifteen points and twelve rebounds went seven of eight from the foul line. Uh, App State is up next, but uh Rick for Rick Barnes' group, they, they finally get started, and uh, I think they're just glad to play some games finally and see what they have. And you know, a season that, that's really anticipated for them.
1: It looked to me, Kevin, like they were playing not to lose, a little tentative because uh-huh. they'd lost some games, uh, and these these were formidable opponents in Colorado and Cincinnati. And and they, they, you can tell when people are sort of playing not to lose when they miss a bunch of chippies at the rim short arm shots. Uh, Their effective field goal percentage is is horrific right now. Uh, Well, they're shooting 31.9% effective field goal percentage, but they're only making 35.8% of their twos, which is just abysmal. But what saved them, they're number five in the country in defensive efficiency uh, and number six in turnover percentage. And John Brannan from Cincinnati, the Cincinnati coach, said paid them the highest praise. He said as a coach, he's only seen one team uh, on, on par with Tennessee's defense, and that was the Texas Tech team that went to the Final Four a couple oh, wow. years ago. So, uh, yeah, and I I traded text with Dustin Kearns, my buddy, the Appalachian State coach, and he said, you know, Tennessee was super physical, uh, great defense, And he says the shots will start falling. Uh, and I really love those two freshman guards, uh, Springer and Keon Johnson. Uh, they're not scared. Uh, I texted with Rick Barnes a little bit and he said, yeah, they definitely aren't scared. (laughs) Um, and what, what it appears that Tennessee is trying to do, they're trying to get to the rim. They've uh, made more, twice as many free throws as their, as their opponents have attempted. So, That's how they're going to try to battle. I know people have thrown zones at them and they're going to have to start making threes, but uh, it's a good ball club. We had a lot of faith in them preseason, and I think they'll justify that.
0: Then on the flip side, there is Kentucky. One and four, losses to Richmond and Kansas and Georgia Tech. And then Notre Dame last Saturday, Kentucky was down 48-26 at the half at home, and it was record-setting territory. Uh, They came back, made it a game, had a chance at the end, but – You kind of look at the big picture for John Calipari's team. They are shooting 24% from three, 43% overall. They have 61 assists and 84 turnovers. That's not the kind of ratio you want to have uh, to be successful in in your first five games.
1: No, and, you know, again, we talked about it last week on our SEC podcast. They're 294th in the country in three-point percentage and 278th in turnover percentage. They're turning it over at a 23.8% ratio, that's almost a fourth of their possessions. Man, You can't win doing that.
0: They will play UCLA Saturday in the uh, CBS Sports Classic up in in Cleveland, and the other half of that will be two ranked teams, Ohio State and North Carolina. They'll face off in the uh, second half of what's usually a pretty fun doubleheader. They move that around. They have uh, had it out in Vegas and uh, different places over the years. So looking forward to uh, those games coming up Saturday. Uh, one thing we want to do, too, Chris, uh, as we uh, roll through the, the beginning part of our podcast, and uh, we should mention we're going to have Jimmy Dykes from the SEC Network coming up shortly. I want to send out our thoughts to Florida's Keontae Johnson. He is in critical but stable condition at last report, and, and following simple commands has been in a medically induced coma. He collapsed during uh, Florida's game at Florida State on Saturday. It was very scary. It was very upsetting for everybody uh, on both teams. Uh, The Florida players, uh, Coach White asked him a couple different times, do you you want to continue to play? And they said yes. So they finished the game. Uh, Florida's game this week, uh, midweek game with UNF, has been called off uh, according to what I've seen. And I don't think they've had practice in the last couple days. But that's really scary. I mean, we've seen it over the years, guys collapse on the floor. And uh, he was just kind of walking back out uh, after, you know, a huddle. And, uh, man. I, I can't imagine being one of the, one of his teammates or even one of the guys for Florida State, Leonard Hamilton, was talking about it, too, just how uh, upsetting that was for everybody involved. But, man, definitely send out our thoughts to uh, Keontae Johnson, who was – he's a preseason player of the year in the SEC. He's a terrific player, and uh, I know his family's come down from, from Virginia to be with him. And, uh, man, we're really keeping him in mind, and hopefully he'll be okay.
1: Yeah, I uh... – I texted with a, a source of mine at, at Florida and that source indicated that today's update may be, uh, more positive. So I hope that's the case. I, I was really, I, th- I thought it was really cool. And, I, and I, I texted with Mike White, the Florida coach, he stayed the night in Tallahassee with them. And, and it reminded me of, of a great line from one of my favorite books and one of my favorite movies. Uh, uh, it's to kill a mockingbird, Atticus Finch, after Jim, his son, we've all seen the movie, uh, got his arm broken. Uh, it, it ends with, uh, Atticus turned out the lights and went into Jim's room. He would be there all night and he would be there when Jim waked up in the morning. Mm-hmm. That just, that always gets to me. And, you know, to, to think that Coach White, he, he could have sent somebody else, but he, he got it done and, and stayed there, and I thought that was a great gesture.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And We definitely wish Keontae and that Florida program all the best. Chris, our guest is here. He is Jimmy Dykes from the SEC Network and ESPN, one of the best when it comes to analyzing college basketball. Jimmy, how's it going?
2: I'm doing good. How are you guys?
0: We're doing hey, fine. Man.
2: Good to see you. You too, Chris. Life's
1: good. I'm, I'm curious, um, have you done all your games live or have you done some remotely?
2: Uh, I've done both. I, I was live at Kentucky, Louisville, and Iowa, and I've been home for the other, the other four. Right. So, Which,
1: uh,
2: how difficult is it to,
1: to not be there?
2: You know, the, really the only, the, the biggest difference is not being at the shoot arounds, you know, and really getting to see, see what's going to happen in the game. You know, that's, those practices are really big for, for an analyst. But other than that, it's, it's, it, just calling the game off the monitor is not that bad, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh
1: I, I caught your Iowa call. Um uh, my boy Luca Garza is uh is uh, playing. I, I think the way everybody thought he would. And that's a really strong ball club, isn't it? They've got a ton of weapons.
2: Yeah, they um you know what, we all question their defense and it's not top twenty yet, but it's not bad but they are so good offensively. I think they're right there with Gonzaga and Baylor, just in terms of firepower offense that can just score from all five spots all the time. So no, they're, they're, they're a real team. Like I, they they could, they could very well win that big 10 and make a, make a run to the final four. They're, they're that good on offense and Garza. He's just different than everybody else out there. I compared him to Tyler the game. Roy Williams did the same thing afterwards. He's, He's, he's a special, he's a special one.
0: Jimmy, how optimistic are you that, that the SEC might be able to get in a full schedule or, or at least most of it? And then i just, you can kind of apply that pretty much any conference you want to look at.
2: Well, I think we, I, I don't think we know until we get through it, you know, yeah. honestly, because, uh, the, the good news is every day we're tracking about 85 and 90% of teams are still able to play. That's good, you know, um, so it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a, I think until, I think until the, the confetti falls on the, in the final four, we're going to have to continue to be flexible and adjust on the fly and understand as a coach, as an official, as an announcer, games are going to get canceled, games are going to get changed, and we just got to roll with it, you know, and I think we've done a, I think we've done a, a really good job of it so far in college basketball dealing with what we're dealing with. You know, it's it's a once-every-hundred-years thing that we're working through. But I, I think overall we're handling about as well as we possibly could. And
0: the SEC, Missouri, probably has the most impressive set of wins so far with their uh, win over Oregon and then Illinois. You know, Kanzo's teams are known for being really tough. They play good defense. But it seems like this group's doing a, a lot of things right so far and, and a lot of damage at the free-throw line. What do you think of Mizzou?
2: Well, you have to to win those two ball games, And, you know, Illinois is – they're one of the top – seven or eight teams, I think, in college basketball. So that was a terrific win for Conzo. You know, I talked with Konzo on Sunday, and we were talking about – I just told him that he deserves to win games as a coach because he's had some bad – just some bad breaks, some injuries, and just things that have not quite gone his way the last couple, of three years. But I'm around him a lot, and I consider him a good friend, and I know what he stands for. I know how tough they are. I know how the brand of basketball they play, uh, and it's showing up. With their defense, with their ability to get to the free throw line. I mean, that's how you win games no matter where they're played, home, road, neutral site. They play the style of ball that's going to hold up in any of those, in any of those situations. So I know they're picked 10th or 11th somewhere in there, that there's no way they're, they're too old. They've got good depth. They're very well coached. They're tough. Uh, they know how to play in a crowd. Just all the things that I look for in a team that I say, can they sustain this? I I don't think Missouri is going to go away. I, I think they're the real deal.
1: Uh, Jimmy, as we tape this, uh, you're preparing for a, a Tennessee broadcast. Uh, what have you seen out of Tennessee so far? My, my take is that they made might have been a little tentative in those first two games, as evidenced by some of those chippies. They, they missed at the rim. But uh, John Brennan, the Cincinnati coach, said their defense was as good as he's seen since that Texas Tech team that went to the Final Four. So uh, – a lot to work with for Rick Barnes.
2: Yeah, there is. I, I think Rick has seven or eight starters. I think you'll probably see those eight kids all rotate throughout that starting lineup during the season. I think they have really good depth defensively. I don't think we talk about that a lot, but I think they have really good defensive depth. Uh, they have got to make shots, though. They're 33% from the field and 30% or right, right in there somewhere, a three-point shooting team that's not going to get that's not going to get it done. Uh, and, and Rick knows it. I, I think they're a better shooting team than what we've seen. Uh, but this is a this is a this is a team that they can make life so difficult for you uh, because of how physical they are, how determined they are on the defensive end. They're they're an older team. Uh, I, I think they're going to be more than fine. I I think right now in college basketball. Gonzaga, Baylor, Iowa. Uh, I would probably still throw Illinois, Michigan State in there, but Tennessee's right there with them. Uh, And and if their offense comes along, this is a team that could go a long, long ways whenever we have that NCAA tournament. Uh, And I
1: think Duke, you know, Duke started out slow, but whenever they resume, I I think they're going to be okay. And I really like North Carolina. I like their size and I like their freshman guards.
2: Well, I had them at Iowa and they're, they yeah. yeah, they are better than they were a year ago. Um, I think they have a lot of good players, not a great player, not, not in North Carolina terms. Uh, Garrison Brooks is a good college player. I, I don't think he's a first team All American like a lot of guys had. Uh, but, uh, they have a tremendous size and they made life hard on Luca Garza that night. With their combined twenty-eight feet and a thousand pounds along the front line, mm. he still got his sixteen and fourteen, and he practically fouled out the entire North Carolina front line so, <laughs> because he always figured it out. But North Carolina is in, is in that second tier of teams. I think they're they're not there with the six or seven that I mentioned earlier, uh, but they, they are a they 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 are very good at what they do. And what they do is they rebound the basketball and they run and they can absolutely. Punk a lot of teams with their size along that front line.
0: i guess Jimmy Dykes, you can see him on the SEC Network and ESPN. A terrific college basketball analyst. Your alma mater, Arkansas, is off to a good start at six and zero. But will we have to wait until SEC play until we really sort of find out how good they are?
2: Yeah, because they haven't played anybody, yeah. you know. And and uh, you know, every, everybody's schedule is kind of thrown off this year because sure. of the pandemic. Uh, but until they get away from Bud Walton Arena play a team that we know is a legitimate power five, you don't really know. Now, what, what, when I, when, what little that I've watched of him, I know he's got a lot of good players over there. And that's a, they, they, they look the part right now, but, man, we can be deceived because of where they're playing and who they're playing. So I, I think I have probably the, their first conference game is at Auburn. I think I'm on yeah. that game, like my schedule right now. So we'll know quickly because – the SEC, uh, anytime Kentucky is not Kentucky, then the national view of the league is it's not very good. Well, I, I don't agree with that. I, I just don't agree with that. I think Tennessee is as good as anyone out there with the exception of Gonzaga and Baylor. I think Missouri is going to hang in that top 20 all year long. Uh, I think Arkansas is a good team. I think LSU is still a really good team. I think Florida, man, bless their hearts. That, that, that's just a, a tragedy they're going through right now. But I think they're a really good team, so uh, we, we, we will know. I think the SEC will end up with it with six or seven teams, again, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but, but they have to continue to prove it in non-conference right now, and Arkansas is one of them that we are not going to know about until they get to conference play.
0: John Calipari always seems to find a way to get Kentucky where it needs to be by the time you get deeper into the season, but how much tougher do you think the job is for him this time around?
2: Well, it's, it's more difficult, but it's more difficult for everybody. You know, he's not he's not the only one that's had their rhythm and exhibition games, and things like that go by the wayside. So uh, Cal is normally this time of the year. He's about a month behind everybody else this year. He's probably two months behind everybody else. So does he have enough runway to land the plane? Is kind of how he always puts it before this season comes to an end. I, I, I don't know. I, I know they have to get better. And I know their 20 minutes against Notre Dame in the second half of the other uh, this past weekend gave some hope uh, to to what they can be, but they have to sustain that now. They they can't go backwards, and they have to grow up in, at a rapid pace because that's a fan base. As you guys know, one, one and four is still one and four. Right. And I, I I'm I'm I, I'm just anxious to see how their guard play continues to develop because. They just don't have, to me, they don't have that point guard that you say, okay, we're okay in this spot. Uh, Asked you, not his fault. You should be a senior in high school. Just not ready yet. I don't think Clark's a point guard. Mintz is not a point guard. Uh, so it starts with that spot. So I'm anxious to see how that spot continues to grow, uh, which will determine, I think, how far or how good Kentucky can actually be. Jimmy, how have,
1: how have you – how has your schedule worked out whether you travel or broadcast from home? We've asked everybody that's been a broadcaster that's come on our podcast. And in fact, Kevin has had to do games for Belmont from home. But how do you determine whether you travel or whether it's, or I guess your producers make that call, but do you know, is it sometimes a spur of the moment type decision?
2: No, Chris, it's there's there's uh like we have a master schedule at ESPN and there's certain games designated by ESPN which are travel games or stay at home games. Right. And so we have no we have no control over that at all. You know, I I don't I, I think there's a there'll be a whole lot of games being done from, from our homes this year. Um and then there'll be some exceptions to that where the talent is actually on site. And I expect my schedule to probably have a, a, a combination of both. So I don't know if there's much rhyme or reason to it, um, other than maybe once we get into conference play, some of the bigger games they would like to have us on site. Uh, but that's all going to be determined by how this pandemic continues to go. So it's a challenge, but I think we've handled the challenge well. You know, it's uh, the good news about it is you don't have to travel. The game's over at at my time. The t- Tennessee game will be over at 8, eight o'clock local time and I can be downstairs watching, tv with my family at 801 you know that's that, that, that's, the blessing. That, that's the blessing that's the good part of it right
0: now yeah i went back to thanksgiving dinner after i got done with the, the game a couple of weeks ago that that kind of worked out okay all right i gotta yeah. ask you gotta ask you one fun one before we go now it, just to to kill some time during you know all the time at home my neighbor and i wrote and recorded a country song and, and it made me think of you i said i, I could be like i'm gonna be like jimmy Dyke, i'm going a, a broadcaster and, and country singer what I thought that was hilarious when they showed that uh, on the game a couple years ago. I think you guys were playing at Vanderbilt. Uh, Was that your one and only uh, foray into country music?
2: Yeah, we actually, my producer in Nashville, that was 25 years ago. I think we recorded six or seven songs. Wow, I
1: didn't know that. I lived
2: there there for about a year. Um, (laughs) Loved it. Great experience. I love country music. Love Nashville. What, What a great town. Uh but God had a different path for me, obviously. I'm glad that he did. <laughs> I love my job. Love my job with ESPN. They've been man so good to me. So ESPN has been such a blessing in, in not only my life, but my family's life. But yeah, we, we don't miss those CMA awards and, and all that stuff. Like we're we're all in, we're raising our daughter right. When she gets in the car, she puts on country music and that, that tells me what we're doing.
0: Jimmy Jimmy, always great to visit with you. We really appreciate the time.
2: Okay, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. Uh, Stay safe. Uh Uh-huh.
0: That was Jimmy Dykes, who's one of the best in the business at analyzing college basketball. You can see him on the SEC Network and on ESPN. Really, really good. And appreciate him joining us for a few minutes here and uh, having a little fun with Jimmy. Well, Chris, it's come to the uh, point in our podcast where we give our uh, spoiler-filled Mandalorian update, as we like to call it.
1: You better turn us off if you haven't seen the latest. <laughs> yeah, that,
0: that's right. If uh, if you don't want things exploding, uh, you know, in terms of spoilers like what we saw in this week's episode, then you might want to uh, you know hit pause real quick. This is the first episode this season without Grogu, the child. I uh, was hoping yeah. we might at least get a wellness check on him to make sure he was okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mando swapped That's out.
1: Like, where, 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 where for out there, Grogu? Exactly,
0: man. You know what's going Come on, on? Baby, is, What's is, up? is he okay? Uh, Mando swapped out his armor for a stormtrooper driver getup, and then they busted into the power facility to get the code for Moff Gideon's ship. And then at the very end, they they sent a very stern message that was kind of. Uh, uh, a reprise of, of, the one that, the uh, Moff Gideon had for them saying he, he, that they had something that he wanted. So, uh, now yeah. it's all leading into, now this is the season finale, right? This coming week? It
1: is. It is. Uh, what's crazy is we finally see, uh, Mando's face and he, He's sport. He's rocking the porn stash. He
0: did right? have the stash. I know when they were, uh, you know, having the little, having a drink there in the, uh, you know, employee lounge over at the, the Empire's place, and uh, yeah. they had, that yeah. was that was only the second time I remember seeing his face. They showed him on the one last year. I think it may have been the last episode of uh, of season one when when he was about to die and the droid was going to fix him, and uh, he had to take the mask off then. But that, yeah, that was the first time this season uh, he has gone maskless.
1: Yeah, and it was, I like the character Mayfeld, who they sprung from the joint, uh, <laughs> which, which in the futuristic world is, is, is a bad place to be. And, uh, he came and did some boat age just driving and, and shooting and, and redeemed himself for his, uh, his days with the evil empire. So, uh. Uh, redemption on Mandalorian,
0: and it helped to have some uh, good shooting snipers up on the hill to uh, protect him yeah. when they were trying to escape and, and get onto the uh, the ship uh, piloted by none other than Boba Fett, who cleaned up his armor since the last episode. Uh, Boba trying to get it, you know back on again after getting his armor back, but it, it was a it was a really good episode. It was great. That was uh, uh, it will be a nice lead in to the season finale. So we'll we'll have a recap of that next time.
1: Just uh, keeping my fingers crossed that they they can. Nab Grogu back. I mean, if, if they want toy sales to boom,
0: they've got to, <laughs> they've got to get him back in the fold. That's right. I'm, this is the time of year when you, you got to think about that kind of stuff. Well, this is the way. Chris, we'll do it again next time on our Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always a lot of fun. That's good, man. Thanks. He's Chris Storch. I'm Kevin Ingram. We'll talk to you soon.